0: The Four Horsemen. What you have
1: here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color.
0: Um, not those Four Horsemen. (laughs) These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior.
1: Are you stupid?
0: Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and... (laughs) Derek McCarson. The Four. Horseman. We want to welcome you again to the Four Horsemen podcast, and we're excited to have a guest with us tonight. We have Joshua Vallejos from Restoration Counseling Center of Asheville, and we are going to be discussing the much requested topic of the Christian and mental health. And so Joshua is a biblical counselor and has a ministry here in Asheville. I also have with me uh, the Reverend Adam Black yes. from Westwood Baptist, the Reverend Derek McCarson, Glad Liberty Baptist, here. and the Archbishop of <laughs> Western North Carolina, Dennis Thurman, and mm. myself, your host, Benjamin Kerfman. God bless. You. <laughs> the enrager of all of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to jump into a few topics, but first, for people who aren't familiar with you, Joshua, I Mm -hmm. want you to tell us a little bit about yourself and about the ministry that you're doing, um, because it is in our area, and we have a lot Mm -hmm. of listeners in the area here, so tell us a little bit about you.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you all very much for having me. I'm honored to be here to help talk about the important topic of mental illness Again, my name is Joshua Vallejos. I was born and raised in the Louisville, Kentucky area. The Lord saved me when I was around 18, 19 years of age. At that time, I was starting to pursue an undergraduate degree in clinical psychology. And then after my first year in undergraduate school, my uncle had sent me a bunch of tapes, oddly enough. This is back when tape cassettes were still a thing, We right? still remember them. Yeah, I mean, they're not, they are not—they weren't a memory then. And I listened to four of them on the topic of mental illness and the Bible and how to reconcile the two. And long story short, I ended up transferring uh, my credits to voice. The undergraduate at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary got a biblical counseling degree, but better than that, I got a wife. So uh, I met her and married her and we had children after we got married at Boyce, which was wonderful. And then we moved around a little bit, ended up getting a master's degree from... Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis in Biblical and Pastoral Studies. And the move down here about a year ago. I had a threefold vision for ministry before we moved. One was to start a counseling center. The second was to be an elder or a pastor in a church. And the third was to teach in the college or seminary level. So pursuing further education is still kind of on the back burner right now. But since we got here, I met with a couple of pastors and local leaders and cast my vision for a counseling center in the area, and they were telling me just how much it was needed in the Western North Carolina area, Asheville proper especially, and so one thing led to another. The Lord opened up some doors for us to, to start this, this thing up relatively inexpensively. Since January of 2018, we've invested over 100 hours in counseling alone, Uh, not to mention all of the other logistical administrative things that go on behind the scenes. And we've been able to help approximately 19 people grow in health and holiness, and we pray their happiness in the Lord. It's been a good ride, and we look forward to bigger and better things.
0: As I said before, we, this has been a requested episode. We, when we ask online to our listeners what's something that they wanted to discuss, this was an issue that several people raised. And I think that just speaks to what you're saying, Joshua, of how great the need is. This is something that I'm personally very passionate about. I've done some study in biblical counseling and am constantly trying to learn more about it. I've also done a little work in secular mental health which is why I have some, some issues <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. with the secular mental health in- industry, which I'm sure we'll get into. One of the things that we need to start when we're talking about the Christian and mental health is defining what is mental health and mental illness. Mm-hmm. From your definition, Joshua, why don't you give us just kind of a working definition of mental health and mental illness from a biblical perspective?
2: Yeah, From a biblical perspective, mental illness and mental health, obviously those are two different things. I would, I would venture to say there have been articles, in fact there was a, a book written uh, in the 50s entitled The Myth of Mental Illness. And I think that's an aptly titled book, in other words saying that there probably, perhaps, maybe, we could consider that there is no such thing as mental illness per se. So what we get to with the term of mental illness is that there is kind of a disease model of a person's behavior and a person's actions, right? So a question would be, how does, how does one's behavior lead to, to an illness, right? Something, a sickness that one can contract or like a cold, right? There's a virus flying around in the air and I've caught cold. Uh, There is no, you know, depression virus floating around in, in the air or bipolar or infidelity or adultery or these things or gambling, compulsive gambling. And so really where we see mental illness kind of coming into play is out of kind of a Freudian model of psychodynamic psychotherapy based in the early 20th century that didn't take root until the 1950s. And that's when you also see a rise in viewing behavioral problems as more of a biological thing than you do a spiritual thing or a soul thing, right? Psychology is the study of the soul. And so now you have this biopsychology that takes root In uh, 1950, 1960, up through 1970, uh, with things like lobotomies, electronic shock therapy, and really your first pharmaceuticals in the field were antidepressants that began to show some differences in the way people thought and the way people acted. What we see, though, is that it doesn't really address the heart issues uh, that people have. So from a biblical counseling perspective, or just from a biblical perspective in general, what we're going to understand is that people do certain things because they desire certain things. And typically those desires are going to be distorted, right? It's to be self-serving and ultimately to build their own kingdom. And so, yeah, that's just kind of in a nutshell I mean, there have been books written on the topic of mental illness, but I would say that's kind of a kind of an incorrect and maybe an unhelpful understanding of what people have and what they do.
1: Joshua, let me follow up on that. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we're in we're whole beings, right? Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, all of that interact. Are you saying that there cannot be that uh, that cause, if you will, that stimulation toward improper thinking depression so forth that's rooted in a physical condition or those unrelated like a chemical yeah chemical imbalance and so mm-hmm. forth mm-hmm.
2: which comes first the chicken or the egg right that that is the key key question and that's a good question Dennis so you're getting at like kind of the psychosomatic tendencies so the the soul and the, and the flesh and the brain is far different than the mind right so the brain is that organ that we have that does produce emotions and thoughts and activities. And we know that, so I come from a dualistic perspective of the human being. So you've got body, so you're physical, you have mind, soul, and spirit, which are all kind of one entity, not, not separate, like a tripartite view would hold. And the brain, the body, certainly does have an effect on the way that the soul works. So if somebody's going three days on two hours of sleep, it's going to make them just more susceptible to certain things like irritation, being grumpy, being angry, being forgetful. So it's going to create an environment in which sinning is a much easier thing for them to do had they not had only three nights, three hours of sleep, right? And then so you've got other things like there hasn't been empirical scientific data on what comes first, the chicken or the egg, in terms of chemical imbalances. So we can say, well, a person is depressed because of a a low dopamine or a low serotonin levels that they have, when in fact they haven't proved that that's why a person is depressed. What really started was, you know, in the 1950s, whenever they started using these pharmaceuticals to increase a person's serotonin or dopamine, And then you saw some improvement, but the core issue, and I know we might be getting to this later on, is kind of the question on medication and what role does it have. And I'm not wholesale, you know, anti-medication, so don't don't hear that. But what I am saying is that that, in a sense, is really kind of just a Band-Aid for perhaps a bigger problem that the person has.
1: Or you might be treating the symptom instead of really the root cause. Is Correct. That- mm-hmm. yeah, and because the person feels better,
2: right, and they might even act better, doesn't necessarily mean that they are better. And it might manifest itself in, in other ways. But, again, there are genuine physical things, any good biblical counselor is going to recommend that a person visit their medical doctor. Let's be clear here. We're not medical doctors. Let's let them see and encourage them to see the people who are experts in that field. I mean, there could be a thing like a thyroid issue that could contribute to someone being depressed where there is a legitimate physical malady um, that they could help out with. We just overanalyze Today. Uh,
1: well, before I give these guys a chance, let me do one follow up. You know, one of our uh, original four horsemen, Terry Hollifield, mm-hmm. had a brain injury. Mm. Uh, he had a series of concussions across the span of his life. And the last time, with a basketball side of the head, that has affected him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll I, Terry wouldn't mind me sharing this, but even emotionally, sometimes mm-hmm. he just can't deal with, with things. Mm hmm. And so there's organic damage that mm-hmm. has been done. Hopefully, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll recover. And he is better yeah. than he was. But like right now, one reason he dropped out of the podcast is that he's taken on greater responsibility in the church. And he just could not juggle those things. So mm-hmm. is it possible for someone to have a physical injury mm-hmm. that causes those kinds of, of things?
2: Yeah, that, that is correct. Again, hear me say that there are legitimate physical problems that do lead to some differences in the way people act and feel and whatnot. And those I would more often refer to like a neurologist, someone who actually studies verifiable evidence in terms of organic material of the brain and not so much a psychiatrist who is studying somewhat subjective evidence based upon a list of questions and not measuring actual physical Mm -hmm. symptoms. But yeah, so you've got things like Alzheimer's, right? That's verifiable. You've got brain injuries, even things like autism, where there are differences
1: in a person's makeup. Well, and and like you may have had some uh, former professional football players that have Mm -hmm. ended up committing suicide or done some awful thing, which doesn't, I don't think alleviate their responsibility for choices, Mm -hmm. but, those brain injuries mm-hmm. are seen to have been uh, contributors to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they very well can be. Each particular case is going to be different,
2: right? It's not a one size fits all. So that's where you want to be careful from you know making a hasty generalization. The important thing is to remember that no matter what, there is no excuse for for sin, right? There can be a physical weakness in a person, just in terms of well our you know, bodies waste away day by day. So we have a weakness maybe in the brain from our head being hit too many times by another football player rushing at us. It's going to have an impact. It's going to have a toll, but it's not going to be sin. It's going to be a weakness in our physical body.
0: One of the misconceptions that I think the average Christian and the average listener is going to have is what exactly is psychology and how do we understand that? Because a lot of people don't recognize that there are soft sciences and hard sciences yeah. and so you just made a distinction between a hard science like biology or neurology or something like that where there's proven verified scientific evidence yeah. you know of some kind of physical injury or something that we can actually measure scientifically mm-hmm. the problem with psychology is it's a soft science which means that a lot of it is inferred or assumed Mm -hmm. and not necessarily scientifically verifiable. For instance, you made a distinction earlier between the mind and the brain. Mm -hmm. Well, the the mind is a metaphysical concept. You can't measure a mind scientifically. Mm -hmm. And you can look biologically at thoughts that people have and what effect that that has biologically in their brain. But you can't explain scientifically where those thoughts are coming from or, or what the origin of those are or what the relationship even of those two, the brain is. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the industry of mental health portrays itself basically as a hard science. Mm-hmm. So the average pastor that's listening, the average person in the pew thinks when I go to see a therapist, that mm-hmm. therapist is the same as a medical doctor and that right. what they're doing with me is the same as a medical treatment. If I was having a surgery or if I was having something like that, mm-hmm. when in fact, a lot of the theory and the worldview that they're practicing their psychology from really is more philosophy and worldview mm-hmm. than it is actual science. Mm-hmm. And so um, can you just clarify that for the person that's listening? Cause a lot of people, will say, I need to go see this therapist, and because this person's a licensed therapist, Mm -hmm. they can offer treatment for me the same way that my primary care
2: physician would, when really it's not Mm -hmm. the same. Yeah, absolutely helpful, uh, Ben. Distinction there. Thank you for making it. And you're right. So a lot of therapists, a lot of psychologists, psychiatrists, have and gained their credence from the fact that they're able to be licensed from the fact that they're able to be reimbursed by insurance, and so they have credibility. So people go to them and they essentially put their trust into them because they have this inherited credibility based on those things that I just mentioned, just like a medical doctor would. However, the proposal that I want to make is that they don't have the same credibility as the Word of God offers. So something that is based in truth, and something that can help with more than just even behaviors. So there may be some really good things that even Christian psychologists are doing with cognitive behavioral therapy. However, I don't think that just changing behavior is really going to go deep enough. So I am a Christian hedonist. I think that we were uh, made to serve and worship and enjoy God forever. That's why God made us. And if we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, then really our chief end is to help them worship and enjoy God forever, starting now. So that goes far beyond just helping somebody achieve better behaviors or learning better conversational skills with their spouse. It's really to help them see where they are worshiping an idol in their life and where they are trying to set up a kingdom for themselves where they're not trusting God. So psychology, you're right, it often has started early on with humanism. And it's essentially saying the truth can be found inside of yourself to heal yourself. If you work and you think hard enough, and you talk uh, with enough of the right people about these problems that you have. As I mentioned earlier, Freud had kind of started this psycho uh, dynamic psychotherapy. And then so that led to just kind of a a really broad receiving of what these quote unquote mental illnesses are. So it became a spectrum on which everything sat from schizophrenia to just a, a, you know, general everyday anxiety. And so what that did, it opened the door for everyone to have some sort of psychological problem because there was this thing and there was no like ultimate psychology at that point because everybody had a problem. And then everybody had a different theory on how to address that problem. We still find that issue today. There are all kinds of different schools of psychological thought. No one can really agree on what the cause is. In fact, the DSMs from 1 through 5, it, it states explicitly in DSM-5 that they don't pinpoint the cause of the problems. They've only done the task of organizing these issues into different categories that we can then identify and label people with.
1: I want to ask what's DSM.
2: So it's a diagnostic statistical manual that psychologists use. There can be helpful things in that. There can be, but you do want to be very careful whenever you're looking at it. It's kind of like an encyclopedia of all the mental, you know, health "quote unquote" disorders that you could find. So, if somebody comes to you and they say, "I have dissociative identity disorder," you could look it up in D and then kind of like a lexicon oh. go through and find out what that means generally. But so in that,
1: know. they're not going to come at uh, from a Christian worldview from a biblical standpoint, unless mm-hmm. the the psychologist. You know, himself Mm -hmm. or herself is a Christian. Mm -hmm. But as far as the manual, Mm -hmm. the way they look at it, it's it's purely naturalistic. Mm -hmm. has to do with the the brain being organic and nothing really to do with the spiritual dimension. Would that be correct?
2: Yes. I would just add that it would be more than just like an organic brain dimension. It would be based on different behaviors that people have also and based on different observations that they've made that people have. And again, they're not going to try to say because of this. Starting point problem, these people are exhibiting these issues. There are theories out there, there are hypotheses out there, in large regard, yet to be proven as a fact. So, yeah, the DSM, you know, one through five, so that was developed. There was really not unanimity among the world of psychologists in terms of helping people and understanding people. And then people just started to see around the 1950s and 60s, like, this is just too much. There's no unity here. So then they they switched from, like, the Freudian model onto more of, like, a dynamic model, which that, again, around the 1950s, 1960s, remember, that's when lobotomies, electronic therapy, and you start seeing pharmaceuticals coming into play. And what you're going to have there is really, it's turning the shift slowly more to a biological view. And even in the 1990s, that's whenever it really got big because then you have the PET scan, you have the MRI that can pinpoint certain areas of the brain, certain functions of the brain. That's when you can say, look, I see in the cerebellum here, this this part is lighting up whenever this person is has this external stimuli coming to them. So it must be coming from that part of the brain. Well, we can figure out what chemicals are controlling that and we can administer the proper medication and we can f- fix this. And again, that kind of gets back to that putting a Band-Aid over the wound because that might be the biological part that is responding to a spiritual stimuli or, or desire that this person has. And that's whenever you see just medication start running amok in the 90s and further on. And so you've got kind of both two, two theories. You've got the biological and then more the, the psychological, psychosocial, biopsychological and it's either give them a give the medication, make them feel better, move on the way. We might have to adjust this thing 30 or 40 times before all is said and done. We're going to keep this person stable. Or it's going to be let's teach let's teach them some behavioral things that they can put into place to just maintain like some kind of level of normalcy. What is the standard of normal? That's always going to shift. There is no real stable standard. At one time, I believe it was in the dsm four. Homosexuality was considered a mental illness, and then so they had to backtrack and say, "Well, no, it's not," because of you know lobbyists and being politically correct and various things like that. And this, I'm not ragging on you know people with homosexual desires or tendencies or same-sex attraction. There's a lot of love and compassion for those people. I'm just using that as an example, and so it's either get your behaviors right or get your medication right. At the end of the day, we can solve the problems ourselves. There's no looking to an alien righteousness. There's no looking to someone outside of ourselves. There's no looking to the Redeemer for our ultimate help, which is ultimately what we want to do at Restoration Counseling Center. And and large pockets of the biblical counseling movement is to say, no, yeah, we need need Jesus to help us because he's the only one that can do that.
0: Okay, well, and that ties in with another question that I think would be helpful to a lot of people, which is for those people who are in a situation where, they're, uh, where they need counseling, they mm-hmm. need something more intensive, mm-hmm. or for those pastors who maybe have a situation in their church mm-hmm. where uh, they need to refer, mm-hmm. what does that person or that pastor, what do they need to be looking for mm-hmm. in a counselor? Because I think one of the things mm-hmm. that we've mm-hmm. discovered is is not all counseling is equal, not all counselors are equal mm-hmm. in their worldview. And just because a person goes to church on Sunday mm-hmm. and they're a licensed therapist doesn't mean that they're counseling mm-hmm. from a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. So, what are those things that say I, I'm a pastor, say I have a, a couple in my church or someone that's struggling, and I've got a choice of 10 therapists? Mm-hmm. What cr- criteria am I kind of looking at? And then even triaging that, because one of the challenges that we have in our area is there's a very limited amount of biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. So what do you do when you've got nobody? What's mm. How do you get as close as you can to helping that person?
2: Say your prayer and grab a book. <laughs> um, no, I would encourage like all pastors out there to, to, as best as you can, I know you're bogged down with a lot of stuff. I, I totally get that. But definitely... There is something to be said about the local church and the people of the local church uh, and the pastor of the local church to kind of spearhead that shepherding. Now, one of the best things a pastor can do for the people of his local congregation to shepherd them well is to refer them to someone who can help. So the way that we like to to say restoration comes along the local church in a helpful way is like the normal everyday life of people in the local church is like a river. People are just flowing down the river, status quo. Every once in a while, you're going to have that person that comes to you with a problem, pastor, that you just don't know what to do with. And so oftentimes what I've heard, and i bemoan this, and I think it might be from a pastor feeling inadequate, not knowing what to do, I'm overwhelmed by the problem, to just say, "We'll just say a prayer and, and read this verse and, you know, you'll be good. You've got to trust God more. And I, I don't think that comes from a place of them just, one, believing that that's true, or two, that they don't care about the person I think it's the third option. They just ultimately don't know what to do in that situation. And so one of the things that restoration seeks to do is to equip pastors and even a volunteer ministry of local churches along the way. But what I would encourage that local pastor to do or even a a church member to do as they're looking at the spectrum of possible therapies or counselors to send a person, refer a person to, would to, to be balanced. You don't want to go off the rails either way. You don't want to go to someone who is, yep, okay, they're a Christian, you know, but they're not going to force their Christian beliefs on anybody. They're, get, they're operating from a psychoanalytical, psychotherapeutic model. And so you know that their understanding, as you read on their website, is going to come from some of the things that we've talked about, humanistic tendencies that people have in their counseling and the psychological theories that people would present from Maslow to Freud to Rogerian, these things I would caution people to stay away from. As well, on the other end of the spectrum, you might have a biblical counselor. I love and I greatly respect what Jay Adams did for the biblical counseling movement. Thankful to God for that, brother and just like luther we're going to reform and we need to keep on reforming we're not where we're at when luther nailed the 95 thesis to the door of uh, the church of wittenberg and we're not where we were about 30 years ago whenever Adams started writing material that was so helpful adams he was a proponent of we need to be very very strict very 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 stern and let these people know that we mean business and we're going to get down to business and so, really, there is a display of lack of empathy that people have picked up from his writing. And also, it needs to be only done in an authoritative way behind a desk by a pastor, an ordained man of God. I also know a lady who had received counseling by Jay Adams, and so that his writing and his counseling methodology were far different. He was a very gentle, compassionate man in the counseling room, and yet a lot of people have picked up on his writings and have taken it to be a very just stern, strict modality of counseling, very lacking in compassion. So I would say a good balanced view is someone who will, one, a lot of people that come to counseling are suffering. They've been hurt by other people. They've been hurt by their own sin. And so they need somebody who will come alongside them, like Paul talks to the Thessalonians, like a a nursing mother. Paul said, I was walking amongst you gentle as a nursing mother, Paul when he talks in Galatians six, one and two, you who are spiritual should restore your brother in a spirit of gentleness. So somebody that's gonna come alongside and say, you know, I'm not I'm not your authority, I'm not your boss, I'm not the professional looking down at you, saying I can help you. But they need somebody who's gonna come alongside them and say, you know what, brother, sister, we are in this together. I'm a sinner you're a sinner. We both need help. I'm going to take the time to listen to you, to get to know your particular struggles, and then I'm going to, Lord willing, help you to see what God's Word has for you to lead you,
1: hopefully in in repentance. A couple of things kind of follow up on that. Mm-hmm. A couple of extremes, and maybe you can deal with these. The, the one you may have someone that advocates a person's problem is of a spiritual nature, a demonic influence, mm-hmm. and what that person needs is an exorcism or mm-hmm. that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and then on the other hand, you may have some folks that quote are, are Christian counselors, but they promote self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Your real problem is, you know, you got to talk happy thoughts about yourself, right. and yeah. you know that sort of thing. So, so mm-hmm. deal with those two extremes.
2: Yeah, a great, great question. So the demonic activity that is a big, big topic. And so we could say that, like a non-believer, are they going to be influenced by? demonic activity like so demon possession i'm open to the realm of non-believers people that have not been sealed by the promised holy spirit be possessed by demons not so for believers primarily because you never see that happen in the bible every time i think about demonic possession or spiritual warfare for that matter i, I think after the bible to a gentleman named anthony he was in the 4th century, early 4th century. Athanasius chronicled his life. He is often esteemed as one of the first uh, Egyptian desert monks, right, that sought seclusion. Athanasius records that Anthony wrestled with demons, like he felt like he was in this physical exertion, this physical fight with demons that were tempting him to sin left and right. And so there's a picture of These ugly, scary looking monster type figures surrounding him on all sides, tempting him to do things. What demonic activity and a satanic activity in a person's life is, and the believer, right? We're talking about a believer here, is really like an Ephesians 2 type of a thing. The old adage, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is just steeped and in sin my flesh is sinful so i desire to do sinful things um even when i'm converted and in a roman 7 type of way i do the things i don't want to do and i don't want to do the things that i do because this this flesh vile man that i am who will deliver me from it paul says and then you see the devil as well so he is the prince of the power of the air and he will do everything he can to stop a person from having faith and Jesus. Each time I sit down with a married couple or with a depressed person or with a person struggling with uh, homosexuality or a person struggling with cutting or a person that's been diagnosed bipolar you know, schizoaffective or what have you, the ultimate thing is not to help them overcome those presenting problems. The ultimate thing is to help them with their faith because those problems they have are attacks from the enemy, to eventually just get them to walk away from the faith. Well, my husband's not repentant of his use of pornography. Like, what kind of good God would do this in my life to allow me to be married to this guy? Like, he must not be a good God. I I might as well just go carve out my own path. Like, that's a very reductionistic way of going about it. But that is more or less what we're going to refer to at least in my understanding is demonic activity in a, in a believer's life, right? It's, it's a spiritual battle on the regular. So every day. I mean, you look at Ephesians and I love that book. So if you look at chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, four, five, and six, there is a spiritual dimension in every one of those chapters. And it's kind of an inclusio. So in chapter one, you have Paul reminding the believer of the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ in the heavenly places. And then at the end, in chapter six, you have Paul saying every day put on the full armor of God because you don't battle against flesh and blood. You battle against principalities of darkness. And so Paul has this broader perspective in mind, but the spiritual battle that we all fight is an everyday ongoing thing. I mean, it's if we're sitting in traffic and we're, and we're tempted to grumble and complain, like something that we often joke about, but it is reality because that small grumbling and complaining that in an Ephesians 5 type of way where I don't have a thankful heart, this thing is out of my control, ultimately, is what we could get to. Something as simple as traffic. So I get angry and disgruntled and frustrated because of that. There could be other things that go on, so this isn't a one one size fits all, but it's it's pretty typical. That could lead to bigger and better things, and then so the positivism. To answer the other part of your question, just think positively, think happy thoughts. Um, self esteem. The answer is in the title for self esteem. It's pretty pretty selfish. It's pretty inward focused. When we were actually made to be outward focused, we were made to look to Jesus set our minds captive on the things above, um, and then to be others-focused, the first and second greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, which we do imperfectly because we're sinners. So praise God that we don't have to rely upon that to get to heaven. We can only rely upon the righteousness that Jesus provides. So we want to look to Jesus and also trust that, well, we can't be held captive by, by my own thoughts or my own ability to make things right. All that I'm going to do to be sanctified and to grow will come from God's word. So I don't know about the rest of you guys at the table here. It's been a
0: little quiet, but this has been challenging to me to think about. I think for most of us in the church, this is a largely unaddressed topic. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of pastors do feel like maybe they know a little bit or they've read a little bit or something like that. But they haven't offered a lot of training. I am noticing a good trend that a lot of our seminaries are beginning to teach more in their MDiv programs around counseling, which I think is helping to equip pastors more. But hopefully this episode has been helpful uh, Mm -hmm. to our listeners. And I would encourage you, if you're in the Asheville area, to reach out to Joshua and Restoration Counseling Center. This is a great resource for you. I know that they're always looking for churches to partner and support them. It is a nonprofit organization, and they are supported by churches and other ministry partners. And so um, you may be in a situation in your church where you can't have a pastor to do counseling on staff, but maybe you could consider partnering with this ministry in your missions budget or something like that and being able to send some of your church members to work with Joshua and others there at the Counseling Center. If people want to get in touch with you about that, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
2: You know, the best way to reach out to me is to send an email to info at RCC avl.com. That's info at rccavl.com. And also, if you have any follow-up questions, disagreements, pushback with anything I've said today, please know that I have a listening ear and a compassionate heart. I will not take offense. I'd be happy to uh, talk with you and, and hear from you and any of the concerns that you have. This is a, a short episode to cover a lot of ground And so some of the things I say may have come across as harsh or just completely black and white. And there's way more to the story than that. And I would love to hear from you and engage with you in any kind of conversation. Any final closing thoughts, Dr. Thurman?
1: Yes. I would like to thank Joshua for coming and sharing with us. And then I would like to speak directly to those out there listening who sometimes feel that there's such a stigma Mm -hmm. that's associated Mm -hmm. with admitting That they have depression or they're struggling with some Mm -hmm. of these uh, issues Mm -hmm. and are somewhat fearful to admit uh, to those because Mm -hmm. they think, well, I just don't have enough faith or Mm -hmm. I'm not strong enough Christian. If I were better, if I read my Bible more, prayed more and, and all that sort of thing. That really keep them from seeking out uh, counsel. And so none of us have all the answers. Mm-hmm. None of us are sufficient in and of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why God puts us in the body and gives us these different gifts because I'm going to have a weakness that I want to need Derek or Adam or somebody to help me with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Joshua is going to have a, an issue that he might need to talk to uh, Benjamin about. Mm-hmm. All of us are broken people in this broken world. And mm-hmm. so, so don't allow that feeling like you're being branded. Is a, an insane person or something, if you're having those problems, find that help that you need.
0: And I would extend that also to pastors who are listening. Um, part of my passion for biblical counseling is because I have been a benefactor of biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. There's been many difficult seasons in my life, and some of those I have had to reach out for some help. And I know many other pastors that have, and especially if you're listening to this and you're pastoring by yourself, if you're in a single pastor church sometimes you need to talk to somebody uh, that you can trust. And sometimes having that third party person, that's not a church member, not a deacon, not anybody that really knows you from anybody. And just being able to share those burdens that you're dealing with and have somebody uh, just speak some truth to you just because you're a pastor doesn't mean you don't need that. And so I would encourage you to reach out that too. And I know, If you're in the area, Joshua will be happy to work with you and has has worked with other pastors too. And so um, take advantage of, of what you've heard today. Do some research. We'll be putting some more information in the show notes for you to look at. Reach out and contact this brother and contact us. And if you have ideas for additional episodes or questions that you feel like would be helpful we would love to do that you can
2: continue the conversation online by visiting us on facebook at facebook.com
0: slash the number four horseman. don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review they
1: look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech All impediment day. homie check my passport heaven All I'm a resident day. like a conscious rapper but do more than All master president day. I see brothers coughing so I hit them with the medicine hey. on the other They say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they're calling for Katrina.